and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. All right, everybody, this is Brother Frank. Glad to have you back for another exciting episode of The Remnant Call. Listen, if you didn't catch last week, actually the last three or four episodes, you've got to listen in. We have talked about what's coming to the United States. We've talked about it prophetically from the Word of God, what God has been showing to His people. But we've also been talking about false prophets that are out prophesying things. They're attracting attention. People are buying their books, and they're blatantly outright wrong. And then not only are they wrong, but people continue to follow them because they make up excuses as to why they were actually wrong. Folks, we need to have discernment in this hour. We cannot trust uh, in somebody just because we like what they said. We have to discern what the Word of God says. If that person calls out something and that thing comes not to pass, then there's no light in them. Now there are, I understand, even in the Word of God from the book of Jeremiah, sometimes people don't understand timing exactly. But when you call out a day, when you call out a time, not I sense that it's coming, but you actually say that it's going to happen at this time, then we have an issue that's going on here. We've got to test it against the Word of God and make sure that it proves out as correct so that we know that in the last days we are following the Lord's voice by His Spirit and not the Spirit of man and their emotions nor their desire to gain fame by their book sales. And so I'm just Please go check it out. Last week's, the last four episodes on the Remnant Call, I'm telling you, they are must-listen-to episodes. Well, tonight I have back Jeff Nyquist and Benjamin Brook. If you don't remember Jeff, he is an expert on Russian and communist military and foreign policy. He's a, currently an independent journalist, a writer based in Eureka, California. He has previously worked for WorldNet Daily, Newsmax. Uh, he he uh, also writes for financialsense.com uh, uh, and he's the author of the book of the origins of the fourth war fourth excuse me fourth world war and he's also co-authored a book with brother Benjamin Baruch called the new tactics of global war and I'll let them talk about that later on but I want to bring them in here tonight and let's get this going uh, Jeff and Benjamin are you here with me tonight right here well, good evening Frank Hey, Benjamin, Jeff, thank you for agreeing to come back on together. Last time you all were on the show, it was amazing, insightful, uh, timely. Um, I guess, unfortunately, it's even more timely now of what's going on. Uh, unfortunately, uh, in the threat that's going on to this nation and, and globally, and uh, so I couldn't think of two better people to bring on together to talk about what is actually going on. Jeff, I had um, just recently, Benjamin had sent me a link about a program about um, Pearl Harbor, uh, basically Pearl Harbor Part 2. I don't remember, Benjamin, the exact title of what it was, but that's kind of what sparked. And I said, Benjamin, can you please get Jeff to come back on the show 
and thank you for agreeing. So, Benjamin, I'm going to let you start in here tonight and kind of take us down where we're going to be heading this evening uh, on this show about what is going on with Russia. We heard that they have prepared for war uh, against the United States. Uh, what does this mean right now? What's going on with the, uh, our economic standpoint between them and China right now and the threat currently to this nation's security? Well, every day brings a little bit more news, brings a little more truth to light, and brings us one day closer to the inevitable war that is currently in the planning phase. And, you know, it's interesting, just today, uh, Dave Hodges, uh, who posts news on what he calls the Common Sense Show, uh, posted an article, China and Russia Alliance Poised to Launch a seven-pronged attack on America. And he lays out the part of the strategy that will be used against us and also makes the statement that the Russians and the Chinese are actually preparing this war even now. And, and Jeff, I, I'm sure you can confirm the Russian Ministry of Defense actually publicly acknowledged they are, Russia is preparing for a war with the United States, although the public uh, announcement was, was caveated with the comment they're preparing to defend themselves against what they believe will be an attack from America. But they are in active preparation. They're moving military assets. They're getting ready for the war, and, and it could come soon it could be still a year or two off it is not in the distant future jeff what what is the latest uh, why don't you update us on on the latest from your end well um just to uh just to illustrate uh, uh a couple of weeks ago vladimir putin made a statement he said that in a world war three in a nuclear war uh that's coming uh he said uh russians that die will go to heaven because uh, America will be the aggressor and Americans will, will not go to heaven. But, but Russians, because Russia will be the innocent party, the victim, their people will go to heaven. So they shouldn't worry about dying in a nuclear war. And that's an extraordinary statement from the president of Russia. It's a very extraordinary statement, especially since he doesn't believe in God. Uh, when he was confronted on, uh, on American television by... Uh, uh, by an American broadcaster about whether he believes in God. He said that he believed in the power of man. But here he is playing this game with the Russian people, and this is just illustrative of what you do. You, you are, the Russians have been bolstering the morale and the readiness of their own people for war, knowing that we are doing no such thing. And uh, it, is, it has long been known from Soviet military literature from the 1960s in their opinion, the number one thing you have to do before a nuclear war is prepare your people, the population, for the war psychologically. Um, and if you don't do that, you're going to lose. And they have been preparing the Russian people since 2014, since about April of 2014, intensive pre-war propaganda for four, more than four years, four, more than four and a half years now. Um, and it's, it's the same thing is going on in China. Uh, and it is not happening in the United States. Do you hear anybody telling 
the American people. Is the president saying get ready for World War III? The American people need to be prepared, know where your fallout shelter is. When was the last time we had a drill where we all had to go underground? Well, Russia did it last year. <clears throat> you know, Jeff, I think our last uh, nuclear defense drill was um, when I was in third grade in 1963. I remember du duck and cover, and we all got under our little desks at school. Well, yeah. And even as a third grader, I thought, this is ridiculous. What's this going to help? Well, the reason we did duck and cover was because we didn't build the fallout shelters needed for the population. But right. uh, starting in the early 60s, the Russians did build it, and they have uh, fallout and blast shelter protection for all their urban populations throughout Russia. So they can put their entire urban population underground in the event of a war, and not just protection from fallout, protection actually from the blast effects of nuclear weapons. Well, you know, going so, even further, the Russian military doctrine is so embedded into the Russian society, the Russian uh, economy, that even buildings that are built in the major Russian cities, they are all oriented in such a way that they are designed to survive to the maximum extent possible a major atomic detonation in you know ground zero in, at the city center. So their building code is taking into consideration an eventual nuclear war. But in the United States, of course, this is all considered impossible. Well, underground parking structures, the subway system, the metro in Moscow, for example, uh, major buildings have uh, blast shelters built into the foundations of the buildings. Those blast shelters have tunnels going out. Uh, if those tunnels are covered by debris because of other falling buildings, the Russians maintain special engineering regiments outside of their major cities to, in case people are trapped in the shelters underneath the rubble, to dig the people out after the fallout radiation subsides. So they have made incredible preparations, preparations that we don't make at all. And more than that, though, in recent years, they've been rebuilding their military, both their conventional forces and their nuclear forces, and we have not. Our military has kind of been on a path of burnout. We haven't renewed our nuclear forces. We haven't really um, built fifth-generation conventional weapons like the Russians have. Uh, not to the extent they have, and so they have uh, now significant advantages over us. They've got uh, cruise missiles with extended range, anti-ship missiles. They can, in fact, launch a massive uh, Pearl Harbor strike, type strike, not just against one uh, Pearl Harbor, but against all of our military bases, all of our naval bases. Uh, there was a pa uh, paper out on this at the Security for... Uh, uh, Center for Security Policy, uh, here more than a week ago it, it was published there. On uh, You know, people can go there and look at it. Um, it's documented. It's, uh, it's, you know, completely valid research. Um, you know, the people in the military at the higher levels who know what's going on, they are alarmed. And, you, you know, in recent years we've had a parade of admirals and generals who have said publicly that Russia is a serious threat to the United States, and so is China. And uh, the, the, the possibility of war is not something that we can rule out at all by any means. So, well, um, you know, in a prior life, Jeff, I was a military intelligence analyst. And, you know, this was a, a few years ago. But 
you know, in that role with the U.S. military, I was assigned as an order of battle specialist, and my job was to watch the Russian military, particularly their pre-war preparations, in order to determine when they were getting ready to attack. And our focus at the time was Western Europe and, and also the Middle East. We were never really focused on an attack on the U.S. mainland, but back in the 1970s, you know, the expectation was if we were going to go to war with Russia, we would be fighting in the Falda Gap in West Germany, and we would be fighting in the Middle East. But I can assure you, from everything we're seeing now, the pre-war preparations that are occurring in Russia, they're real. They are actually getting ready for the, for the eventuality of an Ezekiel 38 attack on both the Middle East and the United States. And when you start looking at the relative balance of power, it is terrifying. I don't know whether to, to you know, shout hysterically or whether to begin weeping or whether to tremble in fear for what's coming upon this country. And all three are probably reasonable responses. But when you consider we have virtually no anti-missile defense system, Russia, as we've you know, mentioned many times before, has a massive anti-ballistic missile system. You know, they've been building the dual-purpose anti-aircraft missiles that are actually also ABMs. And so the Russian cities, the Russian military, are protected by tens of thousands of ABMs. And maybe the number's 12,000, 14,000. We don't really know their exact numbers. In the United States, we have virtually nothing other than some old Nike interceptors that, you know, are effectively valueless in today's battlefield. And you just go down the checklist, the brand-new Russian military fighter bombers versus the F-35. You know, the F-35 is an engineering disaster. It's not stealth enough to be stealth. It's too stealthy to be an aerial combat aircraft. It's basically obsolete uh, off the production line. And so, you know, you can, you can see in all of the decisions being made in the West We've been led into the valley of confusion. You know, we continue to build larger and larger aircraft carriers, even though today's hypersonic missiles invalidate that technology. The aircraft carriers are obsolete. They are nothing more than large targets. And, Jeff, you're right. The Russians are practicing for a Pearl Harbor 2.0, and, and your work with um, Dr. Vincent Pry, the, the audio recording you did a few weeks back was was excellent in, in explaining that they literally are planning or preparing to sink the entire U.S. Navy in one afternoon. Yeah, that's correct. And it's unbelievable. Yeah, and if they were to succeed at such a thing, the consequences for us, I mean, imagine if they did this. This is with conventional anti-ship missiles launched from uh, special containers on passing merchant ships. Uh, from submarines and other sources, if they destroyed our Navy, what are we going to do? Start a nuclear war? Exactly. Uh, how, how are we going to react? Uh, I mean, and we don't have fallout shelters for our people. They do. We go to they would survive war, a nuclear die, exchange. We would not survive a nuclear exchange. And, and Jeff, what is, the, what is the current status of the obsolescence of our nuclear deterrent? How well, reliable are the yeah. nuclear weapons possessed by U.S. forces? Well, I can quote former Defense Secretary Robert Gates, 
when in 2008, right at the point that Obama was elected president for the first time, Gates made a statement, and of course he was Secretary of Defense under Bush and Obama, and he said that within one year, uh, and that's November 2008, within one year, if we don't get uh, a program to renew our nuclear warheads, we're, our nuclear arsenal will become obsolete. Now, you and can what look did he mean up, by that? You can find it. it meant that the warheads were becoming uh, degraded, you know, over time. The, a nuclear warhead has a shelf life. It doesn't last forever. You know, it's like, look at your cell phone. How long are you going to keep the same cell phone before something goes wrong with it? How long do you keep a television? How long do you keep an automobile running? A nuclear How long do you keep the broccoli industry. in your refrigerator? How long do you keep yeah. gasoline in your garage? Right, everything has a shelf life. And, of course, nuclear weapons, already in 2008, since we had not, since the end of the Cold War, we had not We'd allowed our nuclear weapons manufacturing capacity to lapse. We were not building new warheads. We were not replacing warhead components. We were cannibalizing our nuclear deterrent. We were taking parts that did work and replacing them with parts that didn't. We weren't, you know, you had people retiring from the industry uh, to, you know, it it takes a a big box to reboot our nuclear uh, industry, nuclear weapons industry. Uh, President Bush, around the time of 2007, they realized they were really in trouble. They saw the Russians were starting to rebuild up. We needed to build up. He asked Congress, you remember in 2006, the Democrats took back the House and the Senate, and they wouldn't budge. They would not vote for any such thing. And that's why, you know, here they were. They were on the outside edge of this U.S. nuclear arsenal going uh, unreliable. And, of course, uh, uh, he made that statement. Uh, Obama became president. Obama wouldn't hear of it. The following year, 2009, he made numerous appeals to President Obama to adopt the program to renew our nuclear weapons. And Obama finally said to him, don't ask me again. It's not going to happen. And, of course, Obama was then promoting the zero nuclear option for America to be an example to the world by giving up its nuclear weapons. Well, that is, if, if anything, it could be more dangerous. They can't imagine. Why do they think that China and Russia are building them? You know, is it, it, do we remember what happened in Japan in 1945? We had nuclear weapons and Japan didn't. What happened? Japan surrendered. World War II ended. That's exactly. very, very, uh, uh, very clear to see, for anyone to see. This is a weapon that you cannot stand against. If you don't have them and the other guy has them, you're done. And uh, this was Obama's plan. Now, I don't, I don't even put a benign thing, uh, I, I don't put a benign interpretation on that for Mr. Obama. It speaks for itself. Anybody who does that, it knows exactly what they're doing. He's not stupid. Right. And uh, the rest of the country is stupid for not waking up and recognizing the danger that their own leaders were putting them in. Right. And now well, we're, they're like, we're, we're in the, 2018. That was 10 years ago. How, exactly. So there's no, there's not one new, new nuclear weapons been manufactured yet, not one. So you now they did approve. The Trump, Trump signed legislation to begin the process of refurbishing our nuclear arsenal, and they committed to I think a trillion dollars or some huge number. But Jeff, how quickly will that result in us actually producing new warheads? Well, uh, Peter Pry, who was on that program with me, I, I've been friends with him for 20 years. 
Peter, I asked Peter that question, and and uh, Peter said said if everything goes smoothly and the Democrats don't win Congress and cut the funding, they there won't be a single nuclear warhead produced until after Trump's second term is second term as president is over, assuming he gets the second term. Twenty twenty four. Twenty twenty five. I mean, Trump. If he wins the second term, he'll be president until January twenty twenty five. Right. 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 So, so after 2024, and and that's six years, five, six years from today. And, you know, let's just, you know, I was a, a, a battle specialist. My job was to analyze, you know, the balance of forces and at what point are we at risk of losing. And let's just do the simple math on a nuclear exchange today. If we were to receive a first strike, we would see our air bases um, eliminated, Probably the tridents would be gone as well. Maybe one or one trident survives. Maybe America can launch a uh, hundred missiles in response. But with the obsolescence of the arsenal being post the engineering lives, we're now talking about uh, warheads that are uh, effectively pushing twenty plus years. And so the the high risk of of failure, in in effect, they turn out to be duds. Let's say we get 100 missiles off. Russian ABMs succeed in knocking down 70% of them. So 30 missiles get through. Well, and, uh, it, well right, something like that. Isn't that what we're looking at? And then most of those are well, duds. Well, let's discuss this a little, in a little more detail so people can understand it a little better. Um, as you know, there's three kinds of nuclear delivery systems. There are submarine-launched ballistic missiles, so submarines, boomers, big submarines that have uh, uh, intermediate-range nuclear missiles on them can fire them from deep under the ocean. Uh, They're sitting around in the oceans waiting to launch their attack. They've been considered the most reliable deterrent, uh, but they really aren't um, that reliable. It's not that the enemy can necessarily sink all the submarines. That might be a difficult proposition. It's because the submarine commanders don't have the codes to launch on their own. They have to receive the code from the president or from the missile command, uh, or, you know, from the, from the command structure. They're called uh, permissive action link codes. And uh, the problem is, is that if we suffer an EMP attack from North Korea or Russia, uh, there'll be no way to send that code and even if we don't get an EMP attack, if you have nuclear missiles striking at the U.S. bases and basically the, the, uh, the aircraft that can send the signals, can basically carry the signals to the submarines that have those ultra-low frequency capacity, those airplanes are based and they're not alerted and they're in, in a single air, air base. And if that air base is blown up, uh, not one plane is going to be able to send that signal to those submarines, and those submarines will not be able to launch. They'll have nuclear missiles on board. They just won't be able to launch them. So the submarines will eventually be hunted down and destroyed, and that's a major problem. They could nu- neutralize our deterrent by neutralizing the communication system for sending the codes. Uh, as far as our missiles, our land-based missiles are very old. They're not, the silos that they're in are not hardened. Russian missile silos of land-based missiles are extremely hardened. Ours are not. They could actually use air bursting 
uh, and Peter Pry has written about this, to destroy the missiles in their silos. And um, there's a name for it. I can't remember how they how what it's called, but it, it's a it's a technique used to prevent bomber fratricide, which is you don't want to necessarily uh, ground burst against uh, a nuclear missile bases because it throws up fallout up into the atmosphere that then is so intense and hot it kills your bomber pilots that come in to finish off the the uh, the targets you miss with the missiles. So basically, you've got you know with with the kind of attacks where they can blind satellites with directed energy weapons they can they you know lasers where they can use anti-satellite other kinds of anti-satellite weapons and send a missile attack in before we even know we're under attack um, and destroy bomber bases destroy missile bases destroy communications it's possible to launch a first strike in which the United States cannot even get one single nuclear shot off and if we did get a few as you mentioned earlier in the program, the Russians have 10 to 12,000 dual-purpose surface-to-air missile ABMs defending their country, and they have the brand-new S-500 ABM system, which uh, we don't know how many are deployed, but it's a new system. It is a state-of-the-art anti-ballistic missile. They're, they're manufacturing um, uh, over 500 of them uh, for deployment. And each one of these missiles is capable of intercepting 10 nuclear warheads. It's an astonishing yeah. defensive technology. And you're painting a picture, Jeff, where our entire military deterrent could be eliminated. And we may not even get off a shot. Right. And that's the idea. That's what the Russians are working towards. And, of course, when they believe, when they have absolute certainty that we are so weak that we cannot respond and that they have, you know, more than one way of completely assuring themselves that we cannot, I do not know what would stop them because their whole political system is about control and it's about, uh, it's, it's basically still the totalitarian system thinly disguised now under the pretense of being capitalistic and nationalist and democracy. It's not. It's the same old Soviet elite. It's the same old Marxist-Leninist behind the scenes. Um, they are supporting Marxist regimes all over the planet. They're supporting Cuba. They're supporting Nicaragua. They're supporting Venezuela. They're supporting uh, the, the African Marxist states like South Africa, the Congo, Angola, um, they are, they are allied with China, another Marxist-Leninist state. China is, all this talk about China is really a capitalist country. No, it's not. Its government is ruled by a one-party communist system. Exactly. And that is, the, that is the People's Republic of China and the People's Liberation Army and so on. And, and we have been lulled into a sense of false security and we've been lulled to sleep. And it, it's, uh, look, if we don't wake up, we're going to die. I mean, that's just all there is. And I've been trying to warn people for many years. I've told people this day would be coming. I told people years ago, you know, the Russians have a plan. They, they put away communism so they could disarm us, and then they could catch us off guard at a future moment and rebuild their military and come back at us. And I was scoffed at for, for the two decades that I did this. I wrote, right. I've written books. I've been all over the Internet. I've been on TV and radio. And now the Russians are saying it themselves. They're saying it. 
The Russians and Chinese are telling us, and they still won't listen. They're, 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 and people you know, don't, don't take even my believe, they, they yeah. don't believe the threat is real, even when our enemies tell it to us in our faces. Right. Well, and it's interesting, in the Russian strategic liter- literature, it is implied. And I always wondered about it years ago when I read that literature in, in Sokolovsky's Soviet military strategy. They talk about, well, they have to prepare the Russian people, and of course, this has to be done in the open, right? The enemy can see that you're doing it, but they can see in there that they will have ways of making the enemy, even though it's right in plain sight, making the enemy not understand, even then, when it's plainly stated in Russia that that's what they're doing. Uh, and they have. They've succeeded because their active measures are very good. They've got us all, you know, wound up in these ideas that are all wrong. You know, Obama repeated some of them. Russia's a regional power. Russia can't really hurt anybody. Uh, you know, Russia's, Russia's poor. Russia's got an economy the size of, you know, uh, Belgium's economy. Um, you know, things of that order. Look, it, it doesn't matter how small Russia's economy is if their military sector is larger than ours. You see, because the way we measure things economically is not the way you measure things militarily. There are different, different things. They're apples and oranges. And Russia has, has more nuclear weapons than the United States, more modern nuclear weapons. They have now, I think this year they've exceeded the number of war. They've got more warships technically than we do. Of course, they don't have the great big aircraft carriers. Of course, well, they do. They have, they have at least one aircraft carrier, but that's functioning. But that's not really the, the true weapon of the future. Aircraft carriers are sitting docked with supersonic missiles flying around. You know, They're supersonic obsolete. missile, yeah, with a, with a giant, with the kind of giant warheads they can put on things. They can split an aircraft carrier in half and sink it in a few minutes. And they I, can sink the know, entire carrier battle group in a few minutes. Well, given the new technology the Russians have developed, look, they've got, um, there are those, you know, that believe the Russians have plasma stealth, which is a new technology. They've been developing different kinds of new stealth technology. They have, of course, uh, new kinds of cruise missiles. They're developing a nuclear-powered uh, uh, cruise missile that can go around the world I don't know how many times before it runs out of fuel and it can be just uh, it can decide it can be headed towards Los Angeles and midway they can go oh, let's blow up Buenos Aires you know uh, it can change course and it can go all over the world and it could just it could cruise around in a circle before they decide what to do with it and it, it you really can't intercept it because it flies below the radar it moves at supersonic speed and it's, uh, it can carry a nuclear warhead or a conventional warhead. And, of course, it's, uh, it, it can, it's a carrier killer or it could be a city buster. So imagine these kind of weapons are developing. You've got to ask yourself, if Russia is so poor and they really care about their people, why are they doing this? Why are the leadership of the country, who must be psychopaths to do this anyway, why are they building these weapons? The United States isn't been building weapons to fight Russia. We've been fighting, uh, you know, uh, Al-Qaeda and uh, ISIS. We've been fighting this kind of war. We've been fighting terrorists out, out in the Middle East. We haven't been fighting large armies or preparing for that. Um, you know, Saddam Hussein's army was kind of a joke. We wiped it out in a matter of days. Um, these are these are fifth-rate armies. Uh, we've been fighting there, wearing out our military, wearing out our men, 
spending trillions of dollars. Meanwhile, our military equipment is is has been compromised. We've worn out a lot of uh, planes and helicopters, and 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 some of our best men have been worn out. They've been wounded. They've been psychologically uh, uh, hurt by their service overseas in the terrible, prolonged oh, yeah. war. Um, and you know. Was that a diversionary war? Were we lured into there to weaken us, to divert us from paying attention to the real threat, which is Russia and China? That was part of their strategy all along, and it was publicly confirmed by a number of defectors, as you well know. I think a lot of people also don't realize that the degradation of morale that occurred in the U.S. military, as the Obama administration began using the military for social experimentation, for gender change um, operations, and for, you know, basically uh, the promotion of the LGBT agenda. Russia is training a military to fight. We're training a military to dress up like women. And, you know, for the true soldiers, the true patriots, many of them resigned. They retired in disgust. They couldn't be part of it. And so, you know, we have degraded the force capability of the U.S. And, and Jeff, you shouldn't be frustrated by the fact that, that none of us were able to wake up the sleeping Americans because the Lord in Jeremiah chapter 50, verse, or 51, rather, verse 39, he says, I will make them drunk that they may fall asleep and sleep a perpetual sleep and not awaken, says the Lord, and I will bring them down like lambs to the slaughter and like rams with he-goats, how is Sheshach, which is another name for Babylon, how is America Babylon taken? How is the praise of the whole earth utterly surprised? How is America become an astonishment among the nations? And the people here, you know, they have been told we're the only superpower in the earth, and yet with all of our supposed superpower... Uh, after 17 years, we can't pacify Afghanistan. No, of course not. And, you know, the idea that the Ru- what were the Russians doing in Afghanistan the whole time earlier, they were actually developing those forces that we came in and fought. They, here we, we were spending money on the Mujahideen, and they already controlled the Mujahideen with agents inside the Mujahideen. We fell for a trap there, too. So, again, their strategy prevailed over ours. And, well, uh, they've been playing chess with a very long-term view, and we've been playing checkers with about a 15-minute attention span. Yeah, well, we don't, we don't have very good strategy here, and we don't, we've been fooled. We really have been fooled by, by them. Well, Jeff, what do you think of this outrageous, you know, Russian investigation and and the um, the allegations by the left that Trump is somehow, you know, a, a sympathizer or cooperating with the Russians? And meanwhile, Hillary Clinton was the real sellout, in my opinion. What do you think? Well, you know, anything's possible when you're talking about the Russians and and uh, getting control of people, blackmailing people, but. You got to judge. You know, it's like the Bible says, "Judge them by their fruits." Um, you you got to look at Trump, I think, and you have to look at what he's trying to do. Uh, Donald Trump wants to increase the nuclear forces, wants to increase the Navy, the Army, the Air Force, uh, 
and he's been serious about it. And he's been mocked uh, by it. And the people attacking him and calling him a Russian stooge, like Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton said when she was running for president in 2016 that she would kill the, um, the reliable nuclear warhead program. Uh, now, that's a very funny thing. The man who affirms it, and we've seen that he has, he wasn't just making a false promise, is a person being called a Russian agent, and the woman who accuses him of being a Russian puppet, that's what she called him during the debates, presidential debates, she would kill it. So you see, this is a, a, a diabolical inversion of reality that is what the communists engage in all the time. It's like um, they called, uh, they said that uh, uh, McCarthy was, uh, jo- Senator Joseph McCarthy was uh, falsely accusing people of being communists that he was destroying people who were innocent. Well, that wasn't true at all. In fact, McCarthy wanted to keep the names of the people that he investigated uh, private from the, from the public. It was the Democrats that published the list of the names he was investigating because he wanted the names to be protected in case the people he was looking into were innocent. But the Democrats wanted to publish them so they could then accuse McCarthy of, of being unfair. There's this one example of the kind of uh, slanders. And Joseph McCarthy, who was accused of blacklisting people, was the person who was blacklisted. So it, it's perfectly to form that the, the agents of Russia and China would accuse their enemies of this country of being their agents. And, of course, they're in a perfect position to try to make Trump look like he's some kind of agent of theirs, you know. Um, so I, I have to be very skeptical when I'm hearing people like Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama calling uh, President Trump a, a puppet of Russia. I, I just, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't pass my smell test. Those people, no, they're, not the at biggest, all. they're the biggest shields for Moscow and Beijing that we've ever had in this country. You know, you know about Chinagate in the 90s. You know, you've got... Uh, a testimony, uh, Judicial Watch collected testimony from Chinese businessmen about passing money to the Clintons so they could uh, take classified, you know, the W88 warhead was passed to the Chinese. Uh, other technology was passed to the Chinese. The Clintons gave the Chinese what they needed to modernize their nuclear uh, arsenal. And, and how come they got away with it? See, there, there is the case that um, when treason is successful, none dare call it treason. And this is the case. The traitors themselves are, are past the gatekeepers. And now the traitors are inside the walls, and they're calling the patriots traitors because they've gotten away with everything so far. So, hey, let's wipe out our opposition by calling them the traitors. After all, they're all too stupid to see that we're the traitors. Well, it's the oldest trick in the book to accuse someone else, to project the very evil that you're doing, you projected on the people that are trying to stop you. Well, and as yeah, you mentioned, the general public, yeah. they're oblivious. They have no clue. They watch right. the mainstream it's, media and they believe what they see on CNN. Well, it's a classic thing. The communists always call everybody else fascist. But the reality is, as Joseph Schumpeter pointed out in the 1940s, that communism is fascism. <laughs> so they... They're just, uh, it's amazing. They accuse everybody of doing exactly what they are doing. 
you know, they accuse the United States of being an imperialist bully. Well, they've always been the imperialist bully. The United States is the country that's trying to prevent them from taking over countries. Um, you know, when we, it, it, you know, and the thing is the propaganda against the United States. We, we are supposedly, you know, supposedly there's only so many Fords and Chevys in the world and the Americans stole them all, Right. I mean, we're, we're supposed to be the great thieves of the world. What have we stolen? We're giving away everything to everybody. It's really quite the opposite. And we get a president, President Trump, who wants to uh, change that trade balance. How, wh- how would you figure he's a traitor with what he's done with the trade? He has, right. he has boosted the economy visibly, where Obama had dampened the economy, with it's strangling it with regulation. And, uh, and with very bad trade deals. I mean, all I can say, whatever the faults of Mr. Trump, and every human being has faults, whatever his faults, uh, lack of patriotism and treason are not among them. Yeah, exactly. Well, clearly our enemies are preparing for war, while our own countrymen, they are all asleep. And the scripture says they're not going to wake up. Given that that's the reality that we're witnessing in the real world, and you know you can be confident that is not going to change, you're not going to hear anything in the mainstream media about the growing threat of World War III, but nevertheless the threat grows by the day. Jeff, I know we don't know the timing of the Great War, but uh, in your opinion, how close might we be? How much time might we have left? Well, depending, I mean, it's impossible to know because the Russians are very secretive. Uh, how far along they are in their preparations, uh, how far they are with the S-500 ABM system, how far ahead they are on some of their, their getting sure. their missiles into, into shape. And there's also a political dimension. You know, they want there to be some kind of civil disturbance or civil war even in the United States before they begin hostilities. And you see this with this attack on, on Tucker Carlson's uh, house right. uh, the other night. Um, you see threats of violence from the... Look, Antifa is a communist organization, basically. It, it traces much, back yep. to Germany, Weimar Germany in the 1930s. Um, it, it's basically uh, to see this kind of thing going on here. This is the kind of thing that was going on in Spain before the Spanish Civil War. This kind of, of violence was in the offing in Chile before Allende was overthrown by the Chilean generals. Um, whenever you have the left turning to violence and arming people, attempting to arm people, look, you, you've got leftist groups all over the country training at gun ranges. You know, when, training for why are the war. police departments doing nothing, Jeff? Why did the, the, police go, the mayor of Portland tell the police to stand down and let them riot? Any idea on that one? Well, yeah, because people are, uh, look, the politicians are cowards. And look, we've got the wrong, we've got a lot of leftists going into politics. Look, you you know, do you want to interrupt your life to run for mayor of your town or sit on the city council and rub elbows with people who are complete nitwits? I mean, these people that flood into local government now, every single communist fanatic and and half-baked idiot wants to be, wants power, wants to be on the school board, wants to be on the, the board of supervisors, wants to be in the city council, and they're there. All these leftists, they've just flooded in all over the country. Because why? Because 
their religion is politics. They don't go to church. They have all their money and all their time and attention to be focused on the salvation through the revolution. And, of course, they're, they're, they're in all around us. So you go into, look, you go into a lot of churches now. You go into church government. They're there. They want to, turn the, they want to merge Christianity with Marxism. And, um, you know. They're doing it. You, yeah, what do, you, what do you do? You know, you're a sane American. You know, you, you know what the teachings are of, of your church. And you, you try to reason with these people, and then you're called a racist and a fascist. And yeah. now, of course, they're going to threaten to break down your door. We know where you live, you know. I mean, who wants to get involved in politics now? See, they're, they're basically, and the other thing is, they're so stupid and boring and so irritating. Who <laughs> wants to spend their life arguing with these people? Because, right. you know, it's like the old saying, um, don't, never argue with a, ne, or never, never mud wrestle with a pig because you, will, you may lose and the pig will enjoy it even if you don't. You know, and well, it, circling it, back to my question, could the war surprise us and occur before the end of the year? I, I think not. I think before, we have before this year. Yes, in the next uh, six weeks. Well, I mean, probably I, not. You know, it's, you know, it's like the joke is never make predictions, especially about the future, right? Um, I mean, uh, I don't know. I, you know, I, I'm following what they do. And there, one thing you have to know about the Chinese and Russians, they are, they are very cautious in their strategies. They do not want to do any sudden moves. So everything they do is sort of signaled and prepared, and it is also politically prepared. They do not see military moves as something separate from political moves. So you're going to see in their political strategy the kind of structure that they're building. They're building a political structure that within which a conflict can occur. You see, and you can kind of see that already. I mean, look at, for example, the accusation, here's an example, the accusations against Trump. What, why is that? What, how is that significant in terms of what we're talking about? It's because if you're preparing a war, Psychologically, the very most damaging thing that you could do to the other side is make the soldiers and the people of the other country question their commander-in-chief's loyalty just before a war, right? So that by calling his, look at, they're hammering away. Uh, Trump is maybe involved with the Russians. Trump is maybe, you know, won the election. The Russians got him in there. So wait a minute. The Russians are preparing for a war, and an accusation has been made against, for the first time in the history of America, a president has been accused of being a traitor. I don't, I don't think that we've ever had this before. So suddenly, the first time in our history, the President of the United States is said to be an agent of a foreign power, right? And it, it's right. not just, you know, I mean, there's some people, smart people who said that about Obama, but not the mainstream media. I mean, you're, on CNN every night, they're hammering away at this. I mean, this is mainstream media, big-time thing, and, and they're not letting it go. They're like a dog with a bone, right? They won't let thinking, go. Where is this? Right, and there's no evidence for it, by the way. There's not, you've, you've got the special counsel. They've been investigating for it's coming up on two years here next year. And they don't have They have, have nothing. There's, they have nothing. They would have brought it up by now if they had it. They got nothing. It's a, like they said, it's a nothing burger, right? Well, why are they doing it? It's psychological warfare. They're not doing it because they can prove anything. They're doing it because on the eve of a war, which they think could happen any time, and now we're talking about timing, 
they're preparing this psychologically to break our will by by insinuating that our leader is is owned by them. You see, it's quite clear that's where this is coming from. Ultimately, where it's, it's brilliant, from. Jeff. You've got to at well, least recognize the genius of our enemies. Right. Good strategy is, and this is again the and this is only one political structure they've built. The other political structure they've also built is this idea that we're fighting Muslim terrorists that our real enemies are Muslims hiding in caves somewhere in Pakistan or Afghanistan or in northern Iraq somewhere. Uh, and and the, the fact of the matter is, is that, that all the terrorist groups that we've been fighting have some history or other of being connected to Russia, including al-Qaeda. We've got the famous case of, um, of, of course, the defector Alexander Litvinenko, who was spectacularly poisoned by Putin with polonium, uh, uh, 210, which is a radioactive element. He died of radiation poisoning horribly in front of the whole world. You know, there were those pictures of him with all of the hair falling out of him. Um, he, and, of course, what had he done that they poisoned him? Well, one of the things he did is he said that, uh, that, uh, that um, the man who now is the head of al-Qaeda, Ayman al-Zawari, was trained in Russia by the Russian special services and that he had been a longtime KGB agent. So the head of Al-Qaeda, Ayman al-Zawari, right now, today, long-time agent of Moscow. Well, and isn't that, and, it true that the KGB created Islamic extremism and, you know, th- they pumped the propaganda into these Arab countries in order to stoke the fires? And then their well, sleepers were there to compromise these groups. Well, well, I would, I would qualify that because Islam has been around a lot longer than the communism in terms of as a world power. So yeah, but I'm talking you know, about these terrorist organizations that arose following the recreation right. of the State of Israel. The right. KGB was right. right there to either encourage right. them or exploit right. them or gain access and an ability to direct them. Right. And sure, the Islamists were, were ready to, you know, to rally around the cause. You know, Israel's the great Satan and so is America. But the Russians were there to facilitate and, and to cooperate and to strengthen and, and to use this as a, as a, well, a weapon against the West. What I would say is that Islam is a fanatical religion that wants to spread itself. But what they are is they're, they're sunk in a 13th century mindset in a, in a culture that's very backward. And so the Russians, who have a very sophist- the most sophisticated strategic culture in the world, the Russians and the Chinese both share that. And that strategic culture traces back to ancient China, by the way, to uh, Han Feichua and to Sun Tzu. Uh, the two great Machiavellian thinkers of ancient Chinese strategy. And uh, their uh, ideas permeated Russian, permeate Russian and Chinese statecraft. And people got to remember that, that when both China and Russia were ruled by the same rulers back um, 700 years ago, 800 years ago, they were ruled by the same people, the Mongols. And all those Mongol princes were educated. After they conquered China, they were educated in China, and they were, they were spoon-fed Sun Tzu and Han Feitzu. And that is what we see in the, in the modern communist strategy. We see the, the ancient, highly sophisticated strategic culture of, of China coming through the vicious, uh, uh, angry spirit of communism, revolutionary communism. This combination has, has, has proved kind of fatal for many countries around the globe, and it may prove fatal for us because they have such a sophisticated grasp 
of strategy in the Muslim world did not have any way to cope with this. The fact is the Muslims were easily infiltrated. They were, they were uh, politically and in terms of uh, clandestine warfare outmaneuvered by the Russians and by the Chinese. So that the Russians had control of a lot of these and, and were able to make alliances with a lot of these terrorist groups and organizations, both Islamist and Arab national socialists. Uh, remember the Syrian government that Russia is supporting is a, basically the equivalent of, of Arab Nazis. They are, you know, the Ba'athists are Arab National Socialists. Same thing with Saddam Hussein, who was also a satellite of Moscow. Um, the Iranian regime, which is ostensibly Muslim, um, uh, the leaders were all educated in Moscow. Most of the Iranian, top Iranian clerics were educated in Moscow, including the Ayatollah Khamenei who is now the, the Ayatollah there. Um, so when you, when you look at this and you go, the tentacles from Moscow and the tentacles from Beijing stretching all over the world, you know, they're having a counter-revolution in Brazil against communism right now. The Brazilian people are trying to free themselves with this election. And you see what's happened in Venezuela. You see the ongoing war in Colombia between the communism and the Colombian government and the Colombian people. Uh, you've got Nicaragua, where the, the Daniel Ortega and the Sandinistas have thrown away the Constitution, and, and they're bringing in Russian military advisors, and the Russians are building military bases for them. You see, this is not... The Cold War didn't end, and, and we've been greatly deceived. There, there has been a tremendous deception, and well, people the, are not admitting it. They just if won't. the Cold War it, didn't it's end... Really disgraceful. Jeff, if the Cold War yeah. didn't end, then then did we not win? <laughs> of course we didn't. <laughs> I'm um, laughing. But but the American people were told we did win the Cold War. Well, you see, it was very uh, satisfying for conservatives to flatter themselves with that conceit. But they did not understand what they were seeing. They were seeing a transformation. Russia was, it's called change of formation. You know, it, Napoleon had this idea strategically that the way to win a battle was to, to change up your formation in the middle of the fight. And the, the same idea is transferred political to a political fight. The Cold War was really a low-intensity, you know, warfare political fight. And with, with this concept, the Russians said, what would the West do if we deprived them of an enemy? You know, and this was literally stated at the time, uh, uh, um, uh, Georgi Arbatov, the head, the head of the Institute for USA and Canada Studies in the Soviet Union, came to the United States. He gave speeches all over the United States on the eve of the fall of the Berlin Wall, and he said, we are going to take away your enemy, and you're not going to know what to do. Well, and then we'll said, go shopping. Remove the image of your enemy. Georgi Arbatov, you can look it up. It's, it was in the New York Times. It was everywhere. It was all over right. the country. He came, in fact, and spoke to the faculty of the University of California at Irvine, where I was a graduate student, he came and spoke, and he just completely bowled them over. I mean, there was nothing I could say to those professors, who were most of them were quite far left of center anyway. And what um, was their reaction? Was, Jeff, what was their reaction to this information? Did it just go over their head? What did they do? Well, they thought the socialist paradise of, the paradise of so, true social democracy was going to arise in the former Soviet Republic. And that the the Cold War would be over, and the West would, uh, you know, the people like uh, Reagan and 
and and the American right would would not have a a hobby horse anymore. That if you remove communism, they would the right in the United States wouldn't have a leg to stand on. You know, it was an attempt to destroy. And really, what we've seen is we've seen uh, look at what has happened to conservatism since the fall of the Soviet Union. One of the things conservatives stood for was opposing uh, totalitarian communism. You remove it, they declare victory. What happens? Well, the next election, who wins? A Democrat with a history of far-left associations, Bill Clinton. See, they, they, what exactly. they did by, by losing is they opened a way for the left to come into power in different Western societies and for the communists to flood into government. You know, where before they'd infiltrated the government, sure, but now they were able to... Look at Barack Obama, trained by Frank Marshall Davis, a Communist Party USA member, trained him. And he's president of the United States for eight years. Who do you think he, 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 he put in the Justice Department? Who do you think he put in the Pentagon? Who do you think he put at the FBI? Why do you think we're having these problems we're having right now? Yeah, the deep state is actually very black. Or I guess you could well, say they're I, the red. The deep state. Let me let me make this statement about the deep state. The deep state is the communist penetration of our government. The exactly. Deep state is the communists, and the communists are the deep state. That's very simple. It's very clear, and everyone should get that down. Yeah. Now I would add the perspective that you know the satanic elements are fully embedded and working, you know, hand in glove with the communist organizations. And in well, fact, in many ways, they're tested. one and the same. Yeah, well, the communism is, is, look, it's a who is the first revolutionary? Satan, right? Yeah, Lucifer was the first communist. He was the first revolutionary. He was going to overthrow God. So well, what do you got in the communists? What is it all about? It's all about overthrowing the, the, the given order of the universe. I mean, they would say of the world, you know, of capitalism, but capitalism is the natural God-given economic system. That is what, I mean, if you, if you don't, as Ludwig von Mises pointed out, if you don't have capitalism, you're in the Stone Age and, and you, you don't have anything. You well, know? you could and go back to the feudal system and the royal families could own the means of production and the population could be the, the serfs or the slave labor, which is essentially what communism represents in its form. Well, of course, Satanism is a lie, and so what the communists are offering is also a giant hoax. Of course it you is. Know, when, a, when, a, when, a, when a Satanist, you know, think of the snake in the Garden of Eden, think about that. Uh, what did the snake say? What did the, what did the serpent say to Eve? Oh, surely you won't die if you eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You'll be like God, right? Yeah, you'll get a promotion. You'll get a yeah. You'll be you'll be a god. You'll be equal to God. That was that's really the swindle. And you see, because by the communists claiming there is no God, they are saying, well, we are going to be God now, and we're going to we're going to steal God's office away from him, and we're going to remake the universe. We're going to remake it in our image. And it's I mean, you think about anything more blasphemous, anything more satanic. Well, it's pretty hard. Really, I mean, it's the political, it's, it's sort of, you could say it's political Satanism, really. That's exactly what it is, Jeff. It's a political system that is organized basically on Satanic principles. 
Yeah, and I mean, I you know, uh, the one of the great epic poems of the English language is John Milton's Paradise Lost, and John Milton has an extremely profound depiction of Satan, and he has this quote that Satan says after he's been thrown down by Michael, the archangel, into into hell, and and Satan says says it's better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. And that is what the communists always do. They make hell on earth, and they say it's better to do this than to to, to go along and have a a good place, a nice place like America, you know. And and by their false promises, their lies, their underhanded dealings, uh, you know, the the devil is the father of lies, right? Look at what the communists are. The communists lie even when they don't have to, just to stay in practice. You know, uh, Vladimir Putin says, I'm not a communist. Oh, but I kept my party card. And then when the uh, International Festival of Youth and Students, one of the largest uh, communist youth organizations on the planet, comes to Russia to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the Bolshevik Revolution last October, he's the keynote speaker. And Putin says, I am behind you. I am for what you are for. You can go on, on, on YouTube and you can watch Putin's speech. Putin is speaking before 30,000 communist youth, and he's telling them that he is with them. So when when Putin meets with our press and our people and says, no, I'm a nationalist, I'm a capitalist, and, and he fools all these people, it's like, wink, wink. And you'll, you'll see that, that Putin actually winks. He'll go look at the camera and he'll wink. And who's he winking at? All the communists all over the world who are enjoying the inside baseball there. That he's it's tricking the capitalists and their leaders. Yeah, I mean, it's this is not this is something I've watched this for years, and I thought for you know I thought well this is the analysis and could I be right? And you know in the last several years it's like no I can't be right. You know I I mean I can't be wrong. I mean it's just there's too much evidence now. Yeah, the evidence is overwhelming, Jeff. L- let me ask yeah. you uh, one more question: um, the Christian right. Uh, which represents, you know, a whole amalgamation of different Christian uh, groups. They have really uh, anointed uh, President Donald Trump, and you know, so many of the, these so-called prophets have come forward, and you know, they. It seems like the majority of Christians have jumped on the "Make America Great Again" train, and you know, in light of the threats and how far we are disadvantaged militarily how exposed we are economically, uh, what is your reaction to this, you know, far-right Christian cult that has sort of surrounded President Trump and is convinced that, you know, we're, we're going to achieve this magical thinking and America's going to become this great economic military superpower again? Is that reasonable? Can that be done by one man? Well, they're, they're trying to say he's a Cyrus the Great. You That's know, right. He, he's that's the kind of thing and i i don't know what to say about that i mean i'm i'm skeptical by nature um you as you can probably tell i'm you know for somebody to call into question what everybody else is thinking you know i i feel like the little boy that said the emperor's naked so i mean the emperor's been naked for so long and people have gone along with it for so long it's 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 hard for me to believe that that we have gotten this far and we're still alive you know <laughs> Um, maybe maybe God does give us one more sh- chance. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, 
uh, Trump is, if Hillary Clinton had been elected in 2016, our military's readiness, I mean, we were down pretty low, and here we're working to bring it back up to 80, 85%. Uh, within the next uh, coming several months, um, that's an amazing thing. We weren't, we wouldn't be anywhere near that, and the Russians, we'd be at their mercy right now. You know, it, it well, went very well. We'd all be dead already. But it, it, so it's like, well, what? You know, I don't know what God's plan is. God has mercy, you know, and and it seems to be a mercy, you know. Well, I can tell you from the scripture, God's plan normally requires a country to repent before the Lord will relent. But, you know, when I look at the balance of power, clearly the enemies of America have a a window of strategic advantage. And, you know, given that they've been planning this war against us for, what, the greater part of 70 years or longer, uh, it would be my Mm -hmm. estimation that they will initiate the conflict before we could ever close the window of vulnerability. But that's just my opinion. I, and I would agree with you, trying to predict the timing is particularly fraught with the risk of being wrong, because there is no way to know with certainty. But, you know, this war is coming, and in my opinion, it is not very far off. It's not years and years away. I remember when we first met, and this was after my book, The Day of the Lord, came out, and I was asking you, Jeff, how quickly could this happen? And you're like, oh, it's going to be... It's going to be way in the future, and and uh, turns out you were right. But but it's not in the distant future any longer. And you know, we, you and I, published together a book entitled "The New Tactics of Global War," where we delved into the details of the various issues we've touched on tonight. And I would mention that to our audience: um, "The New Tactics of Global War" is a good book to share with your friends or family that are at present asleep and can't even imagine that the United States could suffer a military defeat, let alone, in fact, be destroyed. But, but the reality in today's world is that we are vulnerable. In many ways, we are defenseless, and our enemies are publicly announcing they are now in the preparation mode. They're, which, what that means is they are getting their military in position to actually wage war against America. And my humble opinion, and this is just my opinion, I would think this war is highly likely to occur within the next two years. But there are things that should happen first. Uh, a financial crisis, you know, further degradation of our, our, the, the unity of our country, you know, ultimately to the point of even civil war type conflict in some parts of the country before we I, find I ourselves think, in think, World War III. Yeah, I think that uh, social chaos, uh, civil war, civil conflict, um, Really, uh, the government coming apart at the seams, those are the kind of things that are going to show that we're close. Uh, because that's, that's when they want, that's the kind of um, political uh, framework that they are building. And you can see they're consciously building toward that. So but, as long as we maintain our political system stability and we keep civil with each other, it's going to have a, a positive effect. But with the rising um, conflict, which is at this point emotional and verbal, you know, it's not a far reach to think we could actually see um, the beginnings of civil war in our streets by next summer. We're not well, that far well, what, from it now. You know, I just want to ask people what what ha- would have happened if Tucker Carlson or his wife, God forbid, had been killed or seriously hurt by that mob. 
in front of their house. What if that had happened? What would the reaction of conservatives be in this country? What would have been the consequences for uh, people being able to trust and, and be together and work problems out politically? Um, we are, you know, we are not very, you know, people don't realize once you start killing your fellow Americans because they disagree with you, um, this is, you know, people forget when the Civil War broke out in, in 1861, there was this period where the South had broken away and there was no violence. But then all of a sudden you had, uh, you, you had some people being killed here and there, being butchered by fanatics. Um, and uh, I, I, I don't want to go into exactly some of the details because I'm not, I'm not remembering my Civil War history perfectly, but if you go back and you study it more carefully, you will see that there were, were acts of violence back just before the Civil War broke out that, that made, placed the whole country in this state, frame of mind where mass killing could go ahead. It, it was normalized. And this is a place where you don't want to go. And um, this is the thing that really troubles me right now. Uh, in watching what's going on. This thing at Tucker Carlson's house, this is very disturbing. Because well, he is, a, Jeff, he is one a, incident. A, a major media figure. We're one incident away from this yeah. whole thing exploding. What if they were able to break down the door? And and these well, this mob, right. some of them exactly. got into the house. Point. What if his wife had then tried to defend herself and had shot several of them? Well, see, you, you have, once you, once you go to this where people are so uh, emotionally overwrought and so irrational that they will go in a large mob to somebody's house, who, by the way, I mean, how could you say that Tucker Carlson is a racist or a fascist? I mean, it's absurd. It's completely crazy. You have to be completely crazy to think that because there's no not one shred of evidence that any of that is true. There's no reason to think that. Um, you have to be an indoctrinated nut to even go there. Well, you've got that many people that are made, in, you know, fanatics who are taught these ideas, young people, and they're at that point. Once they cross that line, you realize once you kill somebody, you can't take that back. And, and once you cross that line... Blood is for blood, and that is a very bad place to be for human beings because the, 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 the cycle of violence once begun is very hard to control, to put, put away. Well, sure. Look at um, in World War II, I believe a, a Jewish extremist um, shot a German diplomat in France, and that was the excuse for Kristallnacht and for unleashing... Yeah. The persecution of the Nazis against the entire Jewish population. One yeah, incident. the Nazis had made anti-Semitism had become so hysterical in Germany that it only took one act of violence by a Jewish person to trigger the anti-Semites in Germany to massive violence against Jewish people. So, you know, this is the tragedy of the situation, and it's it's the miracle of America, the blessing that God has put on America with the exception of the American Civil War, and, and of course, which goes down to slavery, um, the, the real 
the real thing is, is the blessing has been that we have had peace and we have lived together in this country without uh, political violence against each other on a massive scale. Jeff, comment for a minute on the uh, Arab refugee wave into Western Europe and and then also to, you know, to some degree here in the United States. How does that fit into communist strategy against the West? Oh, that's a very interesting subject. I, I wrote a paper together with a Romanian scholar, um, Anka Maria Cernea. We wrote a paper um, on the subject for the Center for Security Policy, which you can find there. Um, and... Uh, uh, what I would say is that um, you have to understand the politics of Europe, that um, real fascism, that is national socialism, is alive and well in Europe, especially in Germany and Austria and, and fascism in Hungary and other places and even in France. Um, and that you, you have this, um, remember that Gorbachev, maybe both of you will remember this, that back in 1986, 87, Gorbachev, the uh, last, uh, you know, general secretary of the Communist Party Soviet Union and Edward Shevardnadze, the, the Soviet foreign minister, both spoke of one, the one common European home. You remember that? And they talked about Europe from Vladivostok to Brest. Mm-hmm. And even Boris Yeltsin talked about it. And people were thinking, what are they talking about? Well, what they're talking about is it's called Eurasianism and Alexander Dugan talks about it a lot. He's a, he's an advisor to, to Putin and what this uh, influx of refugees is all about is if you flood Europe with Asian refugees, Muslim refugees in particular, African refugees, you create an ethnic crisis in Europe in which the, the latent ethnic nationalism or white nationalism by the way there's no such thing as white nationalism except as a concept because there's never been a white nation right the na- france isn't a white nation it's a french nation okay so there our idea of nationalism european nationalism there's all these you know 20 whatever countries that make up europe and they're distinct ethnic groups that make up these countries well the uh if you look at what they're doing they're inciting uh the right the ethnic nationalist right, but they're, they're linking, those parties are, if you look at them, their leaders are linked to Moscow, and many of them, and Moscow is cultivating them, and it's trying to cultivate them with the aim of linking them together in a, in a European white nationalist way, that is, Russia is promoting white nationalism, and say, why? Why would the communists do that? Well, if your goal is a global communist government, white nationalism is a stepping stone to global communist government. White national socialism, why? Well, you can't get everybody to live happily in one country. I mean, look look at how they don't want to live with Muslims. But if you make them live with Muslims, they'll realize that they're all white people and they'll combine, and then you'll have what Gorbachev talked about, Europe from Vladivostok to Brest right, the one common European home, all white people under one giant socialist government under, this, under Moscow. See, that's really what that's all about. It's, a, it's called a provocation. It's a classic strategy. And the fact that the Russian allies 
uh, in Syria was the one bombing those homes, driving those people uh, into Europe. The Russian mafia and the Russian special services were involved in helping moving, and the Iranian services in Turkey helped moving those masses into the heart of Europe. Millions of refugees not only paralyzes Europe as in terms of being NATO, not having the money to rearm, but it also created this new political tension where the Russians can use the, the, new, the new European right, the alt-right, as we call it, as a weapon combining it with the far left in Europe to create a new Europe, which is united with, with Russia. And that's their, their long-term game in Europe. And sadly, it's all working perfectly. Well, it is, does seem to be working. And, and if you look at the right, look, I have German friends who, who are just, just astonished because they were German patriots who were anti-communist and anti-Moscow. And now they're surrounded by, there's this new nationalist movement in Germany, and they're pro-Moscow and pro-Putin. And they are, they are shocked and aghast. What do they do? They can't get a word in edgewise. You see? This is what's happening in Europe. And, and the Russians are, are there modulating this. They're, you know, they throw in the refugees and it rises the, the right and they control those right-wing parties because they prepared to control the right in Germany and Austria and um, France. You know, so that you've got people like uh, Le Pen praising Putin uh, people like the German right praising Putin. Uh, you've got uh, you've got a real situation in Europe where suddenly the Russians have the possibility of controlling the communist left and the national socialist right and destroying the middle completely, getting rid of it. And this is this is the con- called convergence. This is actual strategy. They call it convergence strategy. We, hey, Benjamin and Jeff, we got about nine minutes left here and um, just wanted a few things. Uh, this has been obviously an amazing uh, information uh, download, overload. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, Jeff, how can people, though, follow what you're doing? Uh, because, I, I, you know, I know there's a lot of people asleep out there, but, you know, there are, there are a remnant. There are a group of people that are awake how can they keep up with what you're doing right now? Well, I, I write for... They should, they should get Epic Times, E-P-O-C-H, Times. Epic Times is a traditionalist, anti-communist newspaper. I write for the, the paper. Um, it, it was originally conceived by anti-communist Chinese uh, who had escaped from communist China, um, it, they brought on board uh, American conservatives and Christians, and it's, you could see it as a kind of global coalition to try to explain why communism is so dangerous and why it's so destructive and try to build a, a coalition of peoples to, to, to combat it. Um, that's one thing they can do. I, my website is jrnyquist.com. There's a lot of resources at my website. Um, there's also on Amazon, you can buy my books, Benjamin's books, the book we did together, The New Tactics of Global War. It, the New Tactics of Global War is kind of a, a really important overview. It gives you all the elements in terms of strategy and uh, the setup of, of, this, of this current global uh, political situation. And, um, and 
so I, I, I would, uh, you know, tell people, if you want to get the overview, get the book, study the book, get to know the information, and it will teach you, but when you learn this, you will be able to know how to read the newspaper, because when you read the newspaper and you understand, you'll go, aha, I understand now what is going on in these news stories. It's like a key that opens up, you know, the understanding. Um, so I think that's, that's important. People need to be aware because if you want to protect your family, if you want to protect yourself and your business and your friends and your church and your community, and I think it's a, it's a very masculine uh, thing. God gave us the desire to protect our wives and children and our community. Um, it's, it's, it's sort of our duty, sort of one of, one of our functions. And uh, it's, it's, it's a way to do it. You need to be informed. You need to be a citizen. I agree with that. It's better to know. Uh, when you know, you can make plans. When you know, you're not shocked. It's when you're caught by surprise that it rocks your world to the very core. Uh, you know, talking about bomb shelters, you know, I do work IT all over, and I work in radio stations, and I walk in there and remember the they saw the old bomb shelters built back from the 50s when actually people did begin to prepare. Um, and it's amazing. I would say to everybody out there listening, uh, you need to make your bomb shelter immediately in Jesus Christ because that is the one thing that the poorest of poor can do to prepare. And that's be ready and that your salvation is assured between you and the Lord. Benjamin, also uh, tracking you. And, and Benjamin, I'm, I know you're... Facebook's not your thing. Social media is not your thing, but it's becoming something that you are partaking in. And Benjamin, I have been told, not asked, told to remind you, to remind our audience how they can follow you now on Facebook and on your website. If you could talk about that for a moment, because Benjamin, there are a lot of people interested in keeping up with what's going on with you. Well, yeah, I want to thank... uh uh, Bruce and Rhonda Johnson, who volunteered Amen. to create a social media presence for my message, and uh, it's under the Day of the Lord is at hand, and apparently I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and you know, I really thank the Johnsons for their faithful help. But, Amen. You know, to the listeners, you know, th- this is not... Um, this is not something that we just want to study. You know, I think for a lot of the, of the people who tune into these broadcasts, they almost view the, the messages, and you know, this is sort of alternative news because this is the truth. We are not giving you a propaganda version of reality. We're actually spelling out what's really happening out there. You've got to discern whether that is in fact correct. But when you finally realize you know, the truth is out there, this is not an X-Files program. This is not for your entertainment. This information is critical for your survival. The scripture says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. And so in order to provide knowledge to the people of God in this last and final hour, and you know, this great war is coming sooner than later, uh, we are here, Jeff and I, you know, we, we donate our time. We are here at our expense. Um, you know, we would love to wake up as many people as possible, but only a fraction, only a remnant is even listening. But we would encourage you, you know, take this seriously. And by all means, if you haven't read the book, The New Tactics of Global War, it is absolutely worth your time. And we would encourage you to get your hands on it because, you know, these things are going to come fast 
And you're going to need to recognize when we're in the final chapter of the overture period, which is the final pre-war period, so that you know you can take final protective measures for the safety of your life and and for your family, for your loved ones, because you know this is not an entertainment program, folks. These things that we're warning you about, they're real, and they're really coming, and it's going to be way more intense than you can even imagine. But we're going to live through it or die in it. And, you know, the choice is yours, which, which path you want to choose. But I would say choose life, and as Frank said, choose repentance, and then also choose knowledge, because with the knowledge of what is coming, you'll be prepared to know what to do. You won't be perplexed. Amen. Thank you all for that. And Jeff, we'll put up the link to Epic Times and your website. And Benjamin, we're going to put up your uh, social media links and uh, get this out there. Folks, Benjamin and Jeff are correct. These are serious times, and you have a choice to make. You can either take this knowledge and information and then do something with it, or you can continue on and put your head in the sand and ignore what you've been told here. The job ultimately at the end is for you to check out and see, is this stuff true? It's not tough anymore. Anybody with limited computer knowledge can research now and have no excuse left. So I would encourage you to check these things out. Benjamin and Jeff, thank you both for coming on the Remnant Call tonight. We appreciate it. May God bless each one of you and what you do. And we will get these links, like I said, up there. And we'll look forward to hearing from you both again soon. And i just like to say to everyone out there, this is Brother Frank and Jeff Nyquist and Benjamin Baruch on the Remnant Call saying goodnight and shalom.